Hello. Welcome to the Flight Stuff, an Alpha Flight podcast. My name is Adriana Gober, managing editor of Cinepunks.com. I'm Liam O'Donnell, founder of Cinepunks.com. And I'm Doug Tilly, a contributor to Cinepunks.com and Token Canadian. Oh, I'm glad you finally own that, Doug, that it's become just your title, that you are here as our token Canadian. Here's the thing about being on this podcast. I get a lot of like hate messages sent my way on social media, and all of them, they really, they're knocking the fact that I'm a Canadian, Liam. It, it, there's no way other way to put it, but I'm going to embrace it. I'm telling you right now, I'm a Canadian. I'm proud of it, outside of when my country does terrible things. <laughs> I mean, we don't we don't really have a leg to stand over you on on that one. Uh, uh here we are, episode lucky episode thirteen. We're covering uh, a variety of Alpha Flight appearances outside of the pages of Alpha Flight. It's something that the fans have been clamoring for. We've been getting your emails. We've been getting your mental messages. We've been getting your texts, just saying cover some Alpha Flight outside of Alpha Flight. And now we're going to do it. So uh, we're going to jump right in here. Um, but before we do that, uh, we want to play something for you. We were. Very lucky to have AlphaFlight.net's Robert J. Plass join us uh, from the city of New York to talk about uh, that very important website. If you don't know, AlphaFlight.net is the central location for AlphaFlight information on the internet. Uh, and I just found talking to Rob just a real pleasure. I- I'm sure you guys felt the same, right? He's so passionate. Yeah. Yeah, his enthusiasm is infectious. I loved it. It's just great to talk to someone who is even more stoked on Alpha Flight than we are, uh, but also knows so much and is able to give answers that are based off of, like, a very deep knowledge. Whereas, you know, for me, I feel pretty good about where we're at right now. But, you know, volume two? I don't know. I don't know anything about that. So uh, it was great to talk to him. We're going to play that before we jump into the rest of the episode. So enjoy this conversation with Rob Plass. We are so excited to be joined today by AlphaFlight.net's Robert J. Plass. Robert, thank you for joining us today. It is a pleasure. Uh, I am just feeling a bit of awe to be in your presence, sir. I cannot <laughs> think of anyone who knows more about AlphaFlight uh, than you. Uh, and knowing that you are, in my mind, the expert, even more so than uh, Mr. Byrne himself, <laughs> when it comes to AlphaFlight, I just got to ask, uh, how did you get interested in Alpha Flight? What what was your introduction to the to the book? How did this journey of Alpha Flight knowledge start for you? Well, uh, my mom is a retired New York City school teacher, and mm-hmm. uh, she had a rule in her class: if you had a comic book, it got confiscated. And uh, if you ever wondered where all the things went that the teachers took when they confiscated things, they went home to their kids. <laughs> so uh, there was there was a lot of comic books in in school back then. I guess it was uh, as as ubiquitous as, as uh, cell phones are now. Uh, but she confiscated quite a, a number of of really good comic books. I had a pretty good collection going there, um, and they were all free, which was great. Uh, the only bad thing was that you know they were I was getting them out of order. I was getting a smattering of of, of titles uh, mm. that. The students did have pretty good taste in comics, though. They were they were reading all the good stuff. I was getting some good stuff from Marvel, from DC, <laughs> some Independence. Uh, but they, they were they were like I said, they were out of sequence, and I was I was I was missing issues. Um, so it wasn't really a uh, you know the uh, like a the regular order that a a collector would be reading you know on a month to month basis. Um, and then of course there was uh, summer break, uh, which I got 
I got no comics for two months at all. So it, it was only it was only ten months out of the year that I was I was getting these comics. Well, one day she brings home. Uh, uh, I'll never forget this. It was Fantastic Four number two sixty eight, mm. and Fantastic Four number two sixty eight uh, was concurrent with Alpha Flight number eleven. And uh, if you have the um, the the print copy of Alpha Flight number eleven, you, you know that the, that the very last page there is a solicit for Alpha Flight number twelve. It's a full page in-house ad that shows the entire team. Um, and, it, and it says, you know, soon these heroes will face their greatest challenge and one of them will die. Alpha flight number 12 uh, on sale next month. And uh, holy cow, I took one look at that picture <laughs> and I got sucked in. Uh, I could not take my eyes off of this picture. I mean, uh, I, who are these heroes? Who were they? What are their powers? What are their names? They're so beautiful. They're so confident. Their costumes. Which one of them is going to die? It was. I. I spent days, weeks, months staring at this one image. Um, it really just. It sucked me in. I wanted. I just. I wanted to know what was going on. So I was waiting and waiting for my mom to confiscate another Alpha Flight comic. <laughs> Hopefully, it was issue twelve. Maybe. Maybe issue thirteen. <laughs> something. Sure. Uh, but nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So. So nothing. Nothing. Nothing was coming home. I guess. I guess the kids were. Were like. Uh, keeping their comics at home, their, their Alpha Flight comics at home because they were so valuable. <laughs> uh, at some point that summer, uh, I went with my dad over to the post office. And next to the post office, there was a, like a card shop, like a stationery store, and there was a spinner rack. And I bought my first Alpha Flight comic. Uh, just to let you know how much agony I was in, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to get uh, another Alpha Flight comic till issue 19 so wow. I was right. So it was like eight months had gone by between that that solicit oh. and me, me actually getting it. And it doesn't even say in Alpha Flight number 19 which one of them died. <laughs> so I still didn't know. So I said, that's it. And I got on my bike and I, I biked down to the local comic shop with my friend Dave. And I bought all the back issues, uh, issue, issues one through 18. Uh, and I fell in love with the greatest superhero group the world has ever known. Whew. That is that is quite a story, uh, and I like how it, it it connects to a time that is probably hard for people to imagine, which is um, this idea that you couldn't just go online and find what you needed. You know, yeah, that you I, could... I, yeah. I had absolutely no idea. You know, I saw I saw Guardian. Uh, I didn't I didn't know his name. I didn't know I didn't know that he had an electromagnetic suit. I knew nothing about him. Yet I loved him. You know, I, I just yeah. I loved <laughs> I fell in love with the guy. Well, I mean, I had a when it comes to that particular uh, issue where Guardian dies, I it I didn't find that until I was well an adult. So a lot of my, you know, teenage years was going to the to various comic shops, looking through their Alpha Flight section and be like, ah, they, they don't have it either. Nobody has this <laughs> issue. Like, I couldn't find it no matter what I did. It's crazy. So I, I'm assuming, you know, yeah, that, I did, that... I, didn't, I, I didn't actually experience the the month to month reveal, you know, of of sure, of, sure. of the of finding out in issue 11 that Guardian died. And and I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I don't think I would have been able to take it. <laughs> <laughs> much for me <laughs> yeah same my introduction to the team was oh so this person whose picture i've seen is pat is gone so okay that's that's my reality when i finally read that issue I, my first thought was how did anyone read this as a youth and not just freak out like i don't understand um so i want to talk a little bit about uh alphaflight.net 
what what was the beginning of that? When 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 did you decide that the internet needed uh, a central repository for all things Alpha Flight related? Uh, I was I was not one of the original founders of that site. Okay, uh, but there there had been a a uh, Yahoo group, uh, which, sure, which is uh, sure. that's that's how people got together, um, and that that was going since the uh, late late nineteen nineties. Um, and then in around 2004 or so, we launched the the, the actual site. And there was there was a, there was you know uh, it was it was it was a forum, not just not just Yahoo group, and it was something that we owned, um, and that we we were we were able to control. We expanded it uh, with a a, a uh, uh, an AlphaNext database uh, with with lots of pictures and and lots of stats, and we had a a. The, the flame has been kept alive all these years by by a small group of really intense fans who who uh, just love love Alpha Fight. That is pretty great. Uh, I, I'm kind of thinking though, one of the things that when I think of Alpha Flight, I think of a team that's gone through a lot of transitions, um, a lot of different periods, a lot of different sort of versions, uh, and and right now we're on the cusp of a new new Alpha Flight coming out, but. Um, I'm wondering what your favorite, what was your favorite run of Alpha Flight? What was your favorite time period? What was your favorite sort of era of this comic that you know has a has a lot of different um, uh, versions? Yeah, that's that's like asking someone, you know, which which sure, one of your children sure. is your favorite children? You know, <laughs> uh, uh, it's not that bad. You know, I I like I liked uh, things about each each of the different eras of, um, uh, but. Of course, the original twenty-eight run burn burn run was is probably the you know the one pulls a special place like like most fans I think. Yeah, I think that's that's probably pretty true. Um, we we're uh, we're about in a transition period right now where we're going from the the period that burn was uh, on to this new time. Uh, what what did you think about this period right after burn left? Um, what did the series sort of like lose without burn and what did it kind of like gain with uh, Mantlo and the, and the subsequent writers? Well, I may be in the minority, but uh, I really, I really liked the Mantlo run. Um, I always liked him. I always liked his writing. Um, And I, I, I really liked what he did, what he did with the team. I mean, the, the choice was either cancel alpha flight or transfer it over to another team, you know, of, of, another you know the creative team so of course you know i was i, I was all for it you know keep keep going even even with uh with a new team um i liked i liked what he did with it um uh there was uh the first few issues that, that would be um 29 30 31 um you know there was a, a there was a transition and then once you put heather into the suits of oh, Spoiler mm-hmm. alert! I'm sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't you just destroyed. The world. Uh, then I really, then I really liked it. I, I thought, I thought that was brilliant, um, and it was, it was, it was, it was quite refreshing to see, to see her, you know, transform from, uh, you know, from a, you know, a teenage secretary, you know, to the Alpha Fight leader to an actual superhero, um, and. Uh, the way that he did it by by calling in Wolverine to give her training uh, was uh, it was it was just a uh, it was wow just every then then I was I was back to opening up every issue just every page was like wow 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 you know it was it was, it was back to that again so do you think that Byrne intended that was that or do you think that was Mantlo's decision to put her in the suit that was Mantlo's decision uh, mm. that was that, that's very clear to me um, mm. 
And you know, when once once Byrne walked away, you know, he didn't he didn't leave little little post its, you know, on the <laughs> on the pages <laughs> saying saying you know, Bill, don't change this. Bill, you know, leave this alone. Bill, you know, sure. you know, he, you know, he he gave up everything to Bill, and then so whatever, um, whatever he ended up doing was was all in his his control. You know, it, it's a it's a uh, it reminded your question reminds me of 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 something that that um, happened when uh, with uh, Alpha Flight Volume Four, which was written by by Fred Van Lente and and Greg Pak. Um, uh, I, I I had the chance to meet them at a at a at a signing and in, in Midtown Comics in Manhattan, in New York City. Love that place. Uh, oh yeah, uh, uh, and uh, I asked. I was I was talking to Fred Melente, and I asked him. I said I said, do you know if 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 Byrne uh, knows about this run? Uh, do you know if he likes it or not? Um, he just looked, he just looked at me and and he says, I don't know if he if he's seen it. I hope he likes it, but I really don't care. <laughs> he, said, he, he said these are my characters now, and I'm I'm going to do with them what I wanted to do. And I, I own it. Um, and he, he just had this, this confidence that, that he, you know, he, he was the new writer and he was, he was taking it over. And I, I, I'm, and I'm sure that, that Bill Mantlow had the same idea, you know, that, right. that he was going to be the new, you know, he was the guy driving the car and that was, those are his characters now. And that was it. And if you look at all the new characters that he, that he introduced and, and all the new places that, that he, that he brought, Alpha Phi. It's it's pretty clear that that he built on what Byrne started, but but it was it was all his own after that. I completely feel what you're saying. The only reason I ever thought Byrne might have intended it was because he, he keeps putting Heather in, in these outfits that are the same <laughs> color as the Guardian uniform, and I'm like, what is going on? Why is she always wearing red and white? I don't understand. Uh, I, I speaking of uh, characters that Mantlo introduced, but also just the characters in general. I I just want to know from like a total fan standpoint, who's your favorite member of the team? Whether that's the classic team that that we see a lot, sort of represented, uh, or whether that's other characters uh, from later in the series, maybe ones that Doug doesn't even know about, thus helping to make his experience less fun. I'll just so put my fingers. I'll put my fingers in my ears while this is answered. Okay. okay. <laughs> My favorite character is Snowbird. Oh, okay. Why Ooh. Snowbird? Why Snowbird? Wow, she's well. She, she's the most Canadian out of out of <laughs> out of anyone in the team. Uh, and uh, I've I've really I've really thought a lot about this. You know, if you think about the the about a uh, Guardian, for instance, you know what what's really Canadian about him besides for his his you know maple leaf costume? You know, he's you know he. He's wearing a, a electromagnetic suit. What's what's Canadian about that, really? You know, uh, Aurora and North Star—they're they're mutants. I mean, you could be from any any country, any culture, any any ethnicity, any religion. There's nothing really really Canadian about being a mutant. Uh, Sasquatch. Well, I think of him as more like Pacific Northwest. You know, that could be uh, Oregon or the or Washington State, not necessarily exactly Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Marina, well, that's her. Her, her. Uh, she's not even human. She's not even from from Canada. She's she's from another another world. Uh, um, Shaman uh, is uh, he's uh, Native American, and there are a lot more Native Americans in the borders of, of the USA than in the borders of Canada. So he's not uniquely Canadian. Um, and Puck. Well, he's just a you know uh, acrobatic dwarf. There's nothing really really Canadian about that. And we, we, if you want to talk about 
hockey pucks. You know, we have we have hockey teams in the U.S. Also, <laughs> uh, so the, the only character that is completely Canadian is Snowbird. She is physically bound to the land of Canada. Sure. Yeah. Uh, her her power set is completely. It's is designed to uh, stop the great beasts, which are you know all, only in Canada. Um, she's born from Canadians, and she's 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 the one character that's just purely from Canada. Um, also, her, her power set is just amazing. I mean, she's super strength, flight. She has that post-cognitive ability. Uh, she can heal herself with this healing fires. She could transform into any beast. She can influence people to to uh, help uh, help her out. Um, I just I like the way she talks. Just <laughs> I mean, just everything about her. I think it's, she, she's she's just the best. Definitely I my. Love, I love that answer. I think it's. Definitely the answer of someone who's read further in in into the series. I feel like in this where we're at right now on the show, that you know, we haven't gotten to see her do as much. But having read later on, I would just remember her being a really powerful character. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of like in this reading this for the show. It's like I'm rediscovering things and 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 sometimes catching issues that I missed back when I was a kid. Um, Hey, uh, Doug and Adriana, you guys have any uh, questions for Robert? I just have one quick question, Rob, which is, I mean, I, I, I really love that answer. Uh, I'm still, I, I feel, maybe ambivalent isn't the right word, but with Snowbird, to me, is a character that's very interesting, but I'm still sort of trying to um, grasp that character on a deeper level, and I'm hoping that will happen as we continue through the series. But what about Canada... Uh, and I guess I'm asking this both as a Canadian and, and, and as someone who ha- maybe has a bit of a um, – my concern about Alpha Flight is that people don't take it very seriously because it's a Canadian superhero team and people don't take Canadian seriously. What about the fact that this character is so inherently Canadian uh, is appealing to you? Well, well, the difference between Alpha Flight and, and the X-Men is, is that they're from Canada. Mm. So, you know, that's that- – that's the essence. That's the the, the boiled down nature of, of the team. Um, you know, I, I, everything that I know about Canada, I learned from Alpha Flight. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I mean, it's, there's no other way to say it. I mean, you know, when I was in school, I didn't take you know a a, a Canadian history class or learn about learn about culture. I didn't I didn't know what the provinces were or the capitals or I didn't I didn't. I didn't really know anything about Canada except that they were our our neighbors and the the Toronto Blue Jays play there. <laughs> and as as I was reading those those first first issues of Alpha Flight, I was I was learning about the geography, about about where the where where the provinces were, that people spoke French there, that there was a separatist movement, mm. that they used different currency than us, that they had different laws, you know, with a uh it was and, and I was just <laughs> It was it was it was like a uh, social studies textbook about about <laughs> Canada that I was that I was reading and it's it's it uh it was it was a uh, education for for uh, an American kid I really it was that was that was a really uh, enjoyable part about about reading those those first the, those early Alpha Flight issues. It's something I'm a little concerned about as we move away from Burn into Bill Mantlo's run whether that connection to the land might be lost a little bit. Uh, since Bill doesn't, you know, doesn't have the same history with Canada, at least to my knowledge, that Byrne does. But I guess it's something that I'm going to discover and and uh, we'll be able to explore as we go through the issues. Um, and uh, Adriana, do you have any uh, questions before we wrap up here? 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little bit curious about the uh, Alpha Flight Collector blog uh, that you ran, or I, I guess maybe you still run it. Um, but it's, it's a remarkably comprehensive and thorough archive of, of Alpha Flight material and commentary. And I was just curious, you know, how much time did you put into that? Wow, yeah. I, th- I think uh, I had fully indexed uh, uh, 234 individual issues. Oh, wow. Uh, where, where not, not even uh, books uh, with Alpha Flight in the title, but only, only guest appearances of the characters outside of the regular Alpha Flight title. Um, you know, e- even though Alpha Flight ran for 130 issues and there was a volume two, which, which ran issues volume three and and a volume four um most all of the time that alpha flight appears in a comic book it's not going to be in a comic book that's titled alpha flight it's going to be you know uh, appearing in in, in, a, in a as a as, as a guest star in in another book um so if i wanted to keep my alpha flight fandom going i had to get all those books so so I can see what's going on. Uh, books like like Chris Star Number Eleven, which takes uh, <laughs> place. Well, that actually took place during 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 the original run. Um, but um, right now, for instance, if you want to go go get your Alpha Flight fix, you you have to buy copies of The Immortal Hulk, mm. uh, which is a great series, mm-hmm. by the way, highly recommended. Where uh, Puck and Sasquatch are are appearing in the in that book. Um, so. So for many, many months, many, many years, the only way that I could get any kind of Alpha Flight was by buying other titles. So I, I decided to make a blog about it to, to, to keep track of, of, of uh, how, how Alpha Flight was still relevant in, in the Marvel Universe, uh, how they were appearing. And it was, it was just a hell of a lot of fun to write. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great resource and you're, you know, an insightful, interesting writer. And, uh, you know, I just love that something like that exists and your dedication is really ad- admirable. It was, I was almost trying to be as, as, as obsessive as, as I, as I possibly could. I was, I was trying to get down to as, as, <laughs> as, as much detail as, as anyone could ever get on, 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 on any topic. I, I think I succeeded at it. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. If you're going to do it, why not do it to the full extent? Why not do it with full passion and full intent, you know, uh, especially because if there are folks who want to know these things and, you know, for us, a resource like that is huge because I'm not going to know, you know, I, I have that first volume. I have a really big run of it. That's what I got. So anything outside of that, uh, you know, I, a resource like that is huge for me to know, like, where else are these characters appearing and what, you know, where else can I find some some stories about that? So I really appreciate that. Um, I think that's everything. Uh, any other questions, y'all, before we wrap up here with uh, Rob? Well, I, I what I really want to say, Rob, is that I hope that as we move throughout the series, uh, mm. if it would be OK to to uh, not only. Um, reach out to you, but hopefully have you back on, uh, maybe to give us uh, some updates and some pointers, and maybe uh, point out things that we we might miss along the way, and just help guide the series as we go through. Sure, that that sounds like a like a lot of fun. I try to uh, post some some nuggets on on Twitter once in a while mm-hmm. to, uh, to uh, follow up on things that I hear in the in the in the podcasts uh, as I. As I hear something, my, my memory gets jogged of something that happened, you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago in my, in my Alpha Flight memory. And I said, oh, sure. I got to post it. I got to post it. <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate all of your commentary on Twitter. It's super uh, enlightening. 
especially because Doug gets everything wrong. So I do. you're there just to make sure he doesn't screw up our podcast any more than he already has. I need corrections. It's just part of my personality. Yeah, well, it's also a big trouble oh, for you. So. It also it also proves that people are are listening. Yeah. Well, yeah, we also, that too. we also appreciate that very very much. <laughs> Well, thanks for uh, coming on, Rob. Uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing and have been doing around Alpha Flight. Please keep tweeting uh, all kinds of things at us that we don't know. Uh, and we look forward to having you on again to uh, uh, help us deepen our conversation around this very important series. Yeah, and uh, Rob, could you uh, tell us your Twitter, Twitter handle just for listeners who may not know? Oh, yeah, thank you. I am at Rob Plass, R-O-B-P-L-A-S-S. Great. All right, well, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Rob, so much. Yeah, thank you. Okay, great. Great, sure, thanks a lot. All right, welcome back. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much to Rob for joining us. We're going to have him back again. As you know, we're not experts. Really, as far as I know, Rob is the expert, and whoever else is uh, having these conversations with him over at alphaflight.net. Uh, but we're going to have him back to talk more with us. But bef- you know, before any of that, we got to jump into what we're talking about on this episode, which is the many places. Well, we're starting to cover some of the many places Alpha Flight has shown up outside of the pages of Alpha Flight. Uh, up first, we're going to go through these pretty quickly, um, but there's a series of uh, appearances by some of our characters in the pages of Rom. Uh, Rom, the the space knight. You might know him as the premier space knight uh, in July 1984. ROM 56, uh, August and September 84, ROM 57 to 58. Uh, there's a bit of an adventure involving Canada, pollution, Ant-Man, ROM. Doug, can you tell us basically what happens in these three issues? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm coming at this from the perspective, and I, I worry a little bit. I, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're probably a fan of Alpha Flight, but you might be a fan of characters outside of the chronology uh, of Alpha Flight. In fact, I'm guessing you probably are. And one of those characters might be Rom, this space knight, but I don't really know anything about this character. So jumping into issue number 56, 57, and 58, uh, it was a little hard to catch up. I was waiting for my comfortable Alpha Flight characters to join the fray. And once they did, it does become a little easier to follow for a neophyte like myself. So it, it really is basically about... Uh, these strange creatures that are developing in this small community in northern Ontario because of pollution that's pouring into the water. Alpha Flight is brought in to try to stop it, but they are unable. A huge flood occurs. Uh, we even get the, one of those classic scenes where even though people were just like, they were going to die, Alpha Flight saves them and, and brings them to safety. And then they're like, why didn't you do more? Those awful people that exist <laughs> in the pages of so many superhero stories. But yeah, it's very much a environmentalist uh, message, a pleasant one. Though I do have to say, I I don't know about this Rom character. If you're a big fan, please write in. Tell us what I should love about Rom, where I should start to, to dive into the background. But uh, in terms of this storyline, uh, it didn't do a lot for me. I should note, by the by the way, anyone who's, who's going to be checking this out, the, the real story is in issues 56 and 57. 58 is basically just a cameo appearance from some of the Alpha Flight members. Agree. Um, look... I don't know that any of the three of us are big ROM fans that can, like, judge this based upon the criteria of the rest of the run of the comic. Uh, But I think we can talk a little bit about how the characters we're familiar with are used. Um, 
uh, Adriana, I want to start with you. How did you feel about uh, the way Alpha Flight, these these characters that we've come to love a little bit uh, in in reading or in uh, reading them in the pages of Alpha Flight? Um, how did you feel about their portrayal in uh, these issues of Rom? First of all, I love a good story about saving the environment. So sure, that aspect of of, the, of these couple of issues really appealed to me. I do think that the subject matter was handled in a, in a bit of a heavy-handed manner. But uh, we've already established over the course of this show that I am not a big fan of Marina, so it is <laughs> difficult for me to really get invested in any story that prominently features her. Sure. So yeah, I, I, uh, I guess I'll put it this way. So prior to reading these issues of Rom for Alpha Flight, I had never read an issue of Rom, and I have to say that I am not inclined to re- to continue reading Rom. <laughs> Liam, you know what I think about when I think about Rom? What's that? Th- this is a Canadian connection. Well, the the big uh, museum in Toronto is called the Royal Ontario Museum, and everyone calls it the Rom. So uh, I was hoping that maybe these issues would would involve some talk about that, but instead it's about a place called Beaver Lake, which yeah, Liam, I just researched it. Beaver Lake is about four and a half hours away from Peterborough, Ontario, which is where I am. I should head up to Beaver Lake and see how they're recovering from the big flood. Yeah, you should maybe go for a quick quick dip, quick swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing, Doug. You love Marina. Marina is your favorite character, so I assume that you found these issues of Rom a refreshing dip back into the core, the heart of Alpha Flight with its focus on Marina. Refreshing dip? I see what you did there. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, far be it for me to dispute the feelings of uh, the expertise of, of Robert, who we talked to uh, earlier uh, in this episode, but uh, he mentioned the fact that that Marina's not really a Canadian because she comes from space. In fact, we'll talk a little bit more about Marina in one of the issues we're about to discuss. But to me, it's like this is like, you know, it's it, it's it's still the Superman story, right? Superman's from Kansas. He might be from Krypton, but he's also from Kansas. He's pure-blooded. He represents truth and justice in the American way. And Marina, she represents the province I'm from just like I represent it. I might not be there right now, but I still represent it. So, you know, the love comes from the fact that we're both, you know, to a certain extent, strangers in a strange land, Liam. So I do have an affinity for this character, with the realization that most of the stories involving her are terrible. And honestly, the more I see her in comics, the less I like her design. <laughs> I just don't like looking at her anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I, honestly, this this particular set of issues is a good showcase for some of her powers. I mean, again, you can see why if you if you can't have Namor to come in and and tackle some sort of underwater pollution issue uh why not uh, have the next best thing which is marina I, I i think the 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 enduring feeling i'm getting with this character is that she's sort of a missed opportunity you know i mean there's just has not been enough development there of who she is uh, outside of the fact that she doesn't ever feel like she belongs and uh and, you know, that that's something we see in so many characters. I just wish that we could see more of what she's capable of. And, hey, you know what? There's still lots of Alpha Flight to go. So maybe I will. So I got to say here, and uh, the thing that I was hoping one of y'all would say, but I'm just going to come out and say it is, uh, I'm tired of watching Alpha Flight fail. <laughs> and really, that is what they're brought in to do. The point of this is to show that the dire wraiths are real bad. They're real bad folk. 
and uh, a team as powerful as Alpha Flight couldn't possibly stop them anyway. I, I guess we're sort of leading up to a point to justify. I mean, if if Rom's friend gets her way of total genocide, because that's what she's hoping for, is to just kill all these these bad guys. Uh, but basically, we see a, a a giant flood in which Alpha Flight couldn't possibly do anything to change the fate of the town, other than save a few people here and there. And um, you know, that's just not what I'm looking for at this point. You know, I'm looking for some wins for our, for our folk. And well, uh, I got some great news for you, Liam. <laughs> yeah. In the next issue, we're going to talk oh, about. Oh, I know, I know. We we get to see maybe the biggest Alpha Flight win yet, and in maybe their greatest story ever. <laughs> and which which issue are, is this, Doug? Uh, this would be issue number eleven of Crystar, uh, labeled the final fate of Crystar, uh, because this is in, indeed the the final issue of the uh, eleven issue <laughs> series of Crystar. And for those who don't know wh- uh, who that character is. Um, that's perfectly reasonable. Uh, it, it was a, a toy line that existed in the mid eighties. Uh, and I remember reading the very first issue of Chris Star when I was a child. I don't remember many of the details, but it involves people in sort of a, like a King Arthur ish, uh, uh, fantasy world. Uh, you know, a lot of swords and sorcery, that sort of thing, except the main characters and all of his friends, they're turned into solid crystal. Uh, and that's supposed to be a good thing, uh, for reasons that are not entirely defined. And they fight against people who are sort of made out of solid magma. And that's, uh, that's as much as I knew about this character. And after having read issue number 11 of this series, I know less. It, it's so confusing. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I have to say, I don't think I absorbed anything after reading this. It's a special double-sized issue just to make sure we get to appreciate and be completely baffled by every single thing that happens. I don't – it's confusing. <laughs> um, it doesn't really wrap anything up, it feels like. I mean, not, the, the part that's the most confusing is Puck knows Kristar's dad. He knows the king. He's been there before. He knows everyone. <laughs> he knows uh, Ernest Hemingway. Uh... Our dude gets around. I feel like it hasn't, like, Alpha Flight proper hasn't dove into the idea that Puck, his adventures breach more than just the planet Earth, and that he has apparently traveled to different dimensions and universes, and hey, that's just part of what his history is before he became a bouncer in Toronto. Um, I will say that, again, for those who are fans of this character, uh, don't take our confusion as a condemnation of this series. We really can't judge it dipping in into literally the final issue that exists. But I do want to say that the way that Alpha Flight gets brought into this series is that there is a crystal wizard and he reaches into his own magical bag. And apparently... Pocket. His pocket. It's a pocket. That's correct. It's like a pocket thing that he's pulling something from. But that that pocket that he's pulling from is also where uh, Shaman's uh, uh, medicine bag, when he reaches into it, where it goes. So he reaches in, grabs Shaman, and somehow pulls him, Snowbird, and Puck into this crystalline universe. And uh, that's that's how they join the fray. And they help... Uh, Kristar and all of his buddies uh, uh, succeed against these uh, bad old uh, volcano people. Yeah, uh, which involves Kristar's brother, Moltar? Molton. Moltar? I don't remember. No, I think Moltar is a space ghost character. No. Yeah, no, Moltar, I'm, he's I'm, great. I'm pretty sure his ghosts. brother's name is Moltar, <laughs> which is weird. Um, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, Chris Star. Here's the thing, Doug. This comic lasted for 11 issues, so if there is someone who is listening that's actually a big Chris Star fan, I'll send that person 10 bucks because I don't believe you. That's not a real thing. Uh, so I'm not too worried about it. Let's go to the next I'm, one. I'm waiting for the Chris Star stuff podcast. Yeah. Then I'll believe. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about our next one here. Marvel Team-Up Annual Number 7 from October 1984. This one featuring uh, a well-known character, Spider-Man, specifically the black uh, outfit Spider-Man, which I appreciate, and Alpha Flight. Uh, what happens in this issue, Doug? So I'm I'm sorry to be distracted, Liam, but I'm just reading up because I felt a little bad about what we were just saying. Do you know that Kristar has actually returned to Marvel Comics uh, in, in the um, in in the recent Secret Wars uh, major event? So Kristar is back. So I don't think we should mock this character when there could very well be a fandom. Maybe more stories to come. Maybe it's it's we're the ones who are lacking, is what I'm trying to say, Liam. I look. Look, if we're going to diss Rom, I'm dissing Kristar. That's just how it's going to go. All right? Rom's a space knight. He's a space knight. I've heard of him. <laughs> that, that's fair enough. So uh, speaking of final issues, this is the final Marvel team-up team annual. Again, another double-sized issue with Spider-Man teaming up with Alpha Flight. Uh, this is a kind of an odd story. It starts with uh, Spider-Man, who is currently wearing his black costume. This is actually, I think this issue came out between Secret Wars 1 and 2. Um, and he gets kidnapped by the Collector, who also kidnaps Marina, who's another uh, central character in this story. And uh, and he actually um, – we get a lot of detail regarding Marina's backstory, which we didn't really hear outside of her tangles with the Master in the pages of Alpha Flight. But here, those uh, her, her species, the one that gets sent to different planets to sort of overtake it, she gets introduced to basically her brothers and sisters, who the Collector has already uh, uh, collected – Ahead of time. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Alpha Flight, uh, fearing for the fate of their members, they, uh, their member uh, Marina, they join the fray, and uh, then a lot of uh, crazy crap happens, Liam. <laughs> I find it very odd that we learn so much important information about Marina's backstory <laughs> right? in an issue of a comic that is not Alpha Flight. And yet, that seems very much par for the course for comics from this time period i i always wonder if like if john byrne you know if the bible of alpha flight in whatever form that might exist or even if it just existed in john byrne's head does someone have to go to him while alpha flight is still going on and say you know what else is there about marina that i could explore here that could be interesting or has he told that to someone and be like this is what happened in her background and you can do this with it it's just it, I, it's so it's funny. It was funny to hear Rob talk about Byrne and the the people who followed up uh, Alpha Flight after him, because one of the things that has defined John Byrne as a creator for me is his fidelity to the creators, the original creators of things, and how he likes to put basically the pieces back as they were uh, when they were found. And and uh, it's interesting to think about what his attitude would be to someone else taking those characters that he's created and and. Uh, and exploring them in a way that he didn't intend. Yeah, the I for whatever reason it hadn't occurred to me that we hadn't talked about this Plodex stuff until now. I guess because mm -hmm. I think they explore it in the uh, Asgard attacks storyline. Uh, but as I remember, I read a lot of that in X Men and not in Alpha Flight. So uh, again, I feel like this Plodex stuff was just not really making its way into the pages of Alpha Flight. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, that's weird. Um, 
I I was kind of curious what y'all think of the collector as a character. Um, <clears throat> he's someone who I was pretty unfamiliar with until uh, you know he is famously you know played by Benicio del Toro in the MCU, and so I've you know I read a little bit of like you know mm-hmm. Marvelpedia stuff about him, but I I don't know how familiar you are with him and and how you felt like he worked in this particular Marvel team up. He's not as hot as Benicio del Toro. Sure, of course, of course. <laughs> well, you know, the, you, you got to draw the audience in somehow. So Benicio del Toro is sort of your your hook, right? I, I have to say, Liam, I like the fact that they uh, lay a foundation of sympathy for the character. The idea that the reason he's collecting these things is basically he has a mobile Noah's Ark that would be used to repopulate planets uh, if for, after catastrophic incidents. And though you don't know for sure if that's really what his intentions are, and if that's even though that might be his his mission in his mind, whether it's the actual collecting that he enjoys and and th- that that you know the fact that he's taking people against their will um, overtakes whatever good he might be able to do with repopulating planets. I like the idea that there's some sort of dimension to that character, which could make him more interesting than just like that guy in that Star Trek The Next Generation episode who tries to steal data and add him to his collection. Yeah, totally. There's a nice ambiguity to the character. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a little bit, I don't know if either of you are familiar with uh, the nanny character from the X-Men. You know about this? Fran Drescher? No, uh, though I appreciate that. Um, Nanny was a, a android that Magneto built with the idea that she would uh, sort of take care of um, the younger generation of mutants and usher them into the future. But she sort of misinterprets her programming and just transforms powerful current mutants into children so she can take care of them. Oh. Um, but but like just those Marvel has a lot of these characters who have like a central core that might be a good idea but then the person itself it's no longer clear how connected they are to their purpose anymore you know what i mean so with the collector like that mission very much makes sense like hey we got to restart you know life somehow but he also seems like very stoked to just steal things wherever he can. So, uh, in the say, you know, th- that sort of character has always kind of appealed to me. But for whatever reason, I haven't read a lot of comics with him in it before. So it was neat to see him in the pages of Marvel and not just up on the screen. Um, I thought this was a lot of fun. I don't know if if y'all felt the same, but uh, th- this was uh, of the ones we covered for this episode. This was the first one I really enjoyed. Um, uh, do we want to say anything about the art before we move on to what I think is the meat of this episode? I mean, I think it's worthwhile to to search this one out if you're a fan of Alpha Flight. For one thing, you get a lot of the, the a lot of the members of the group working together yep. as a team. I, I, as we just mentioned, uh, some surprising uh, backstory regarding uh, regarding Marianne's character. If that is a character you have any interest in, like I do, but also it's just a really good yarn. It's a really fun story. It is very self contained. It was a lot easier to follow, obviously, than the ones we were just talking about. So uh, even even if you just wanted to dip into this character and you wanted kind of the guiding hand of a character that already has a lot of popularity like Spider-Man that you could do worse than dipping in here. And also you have uh, Louise Simonson writing and, and I mean, the quality of writing here is, I think it's safe to say uh, a few steps up over the other issues we were just talking about. I agree completely. Can't go wrong with Wheezy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I also very much appreciated that uh, Sasquatch kind of looks like a jerk in this issue. So that's always good. (laughs) I appreciate it. Anytime Walter can look bad, I'm a fan. Um, 
up next, we're talking about X-Men Alpha Flight number one. So this is a crossover event, uh, uh, two-issue limited series combining X-Men and Alpha Flight in a particularly Asgardian uh, kind of context here, which we'll jump into. This is from December 1985, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Paul Smith. A little bit of a change from, from what we're usually looking at here. Um before we jump into the plot, I think it's worth actually for both of these issues, uh, starting with the cover. Um, let's start with this uh, uh, issue number one. I want to talk about the cover and then get into the uh, what happens. Um, let's start with you, Adriana. What do you think of this cover of X-Men and Alpha Flight number one? It's gorgeous. Um, it, it's a bit unusual in that it's a front and back cover spread, so it's, it's twice the amount of cover we're used to seeing. But that is not a bad thing. Um, Line work is by the great Paul Smith uh, with inks by Bob Wyacek. And I, they work so well together. Just very beautiful, clean line work. And what they put together here for us is this super epic battle landscape. It's, it's exactly the sort, of, the sort of scenario I would hope to see um, in a crossover with X-Men and Alpha Flight. So... Uh, it definitely promises a pretty heavy-duty issue. Doug, what do you think of this cover, uh, the full splash for issue number one? I, I think when it's shown as a full splash, it's a lot more effective than just the the, the cover portion. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not just saying that because you get to see a lot more Alpha Flight on the back cover than you do on the front. Um, it it It's kind of X-Men-centric if you only see the front part. Um, And and it's still interesting, especially because X-Men will, I think, will always be more popular than Alpha Flight, I think it's safe to say. But when you see that that picture as a whole, it it offers up a lot more, like, questions. It's like, what is that strange city? Why is Loki watching over everything? Who is this central character? I mean, you might recognize her from the pages of X-Men, but she looks so different. You get to see Cyclops on fire. I mean, it is a very dynamic image. Um... And and but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like the kind of cover that you would think about if you had an X Men and Alpha Flight limited series. You think you'd kind of put them battling each other front and center. So it's actually in some ways it's kind of refreshing that they don't go that route. But I also kind of want to see that. <laughs> Thankfully, you do get to see a bit of that in the actual uh, issues. Problem. Yeah. Do you think it's a bit of a playful bait and switch? I guess to a certain extent, but in reality, in like a mini series like this. They're already stretching, like like this is like this story that we're about to talk about goes to such a strange place and with all these different possibilities that are laid. I mean, really, they're talking about uh, uh, changes to these characters that could literally, you know, save the world and and end world hunger and end poverty and end suffering. And so, you know, the it isn't that far removed from the reality of what we see in what we see in the actual issue proper. Um, the, you, it was, oh, I was just referring to the fact that it's Madeline Pryor and the thing around here looks like a female. It does look like a female. So. I think that is mm-hmm. that is absolutely intentional. And I guess when you come at it from that perspective, yeah, Liam, it is a bait-and-switch red-haired character bathed in fire. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's kind of a fun, playful, like someone's going to see this and be like, oh my gosh, finally, Madeline is revealing herself to actually be Jean Right. Uh, which was sort of what people were thinking at the time anyway. And then when you find out, it's actually contextually makes sense when she touches people they do look like they're on fire but if you don't know Mm. it kind of could mess with you a little bit you know 
Well, I don't know anything about X-Men, so... You, you, oh, you... sure, sure, sure. sure, sure. <laughs> well, so what happens uh, in this first uh, volume of this crossover, Doug? All right, so this is a double-length issue. There's a lot to get through. I'm just going to uh, go through it very quickly. Cyclops uh, and his girlfriend, Madeline Pryor, they're piloting a plane full of scientists to the Arctic Circle when that plane encounters a storm, very similar to when the X-Men first met Alpha Flight. So back at the X-Men school mansion, uh, the rest of the X-Men, they're in the danger room when Rachel Summers, Cyclops' daughter from an alternate future, she has a little freak out and eventually has a psychic vision of the plane crash. She suspects that Shaman is involved because of its... Uh, film familiarity with how what happened before. Rachel then teleports to where Alpha Flight are staying, and she starts attacking them. Attacking them. The rest of the X Men eventually arrive. They calm her down and calm down the whole fight. And the two teams actually decide to work together to discover the whereabouts of the crashed plane. Uh, so when they go to this location, instead of wreckage, they discover a wondrous castle, and they're met by Cyclops, who's wearing a goofy armor, and he no longer needs his visor. Somehow he's been healed. Uh, it turns out everyone who was on the plane has been magically transformed, and they have manifested some incredible powers. Madeline uses her new healing powers to cure some of the members of both X-Men Alpha and Alpha Flight. She addresses Aurora's split personalities, uh, Sasquatch's inner turmoil, and she... Cures Puck's dwarfism, which uh, I think is something we'll talk about uh, before we're, we're finished on this issue. She also makes it so Rogue can touch people, which is very nice of her. And Rogue has a uh, really interesting moment with Northstar, which we'll get into as well. While this is ongoing, uh, Snowbird has been critically injured. But when Shaman attempts to find her so she can too be healed, it's revealed that she's vanished and Wolverine goes searching for her. At a uh, banquet inside the, the, uh, the halls of this uh, castle, it's revealed that Madeline is pregnant. Which actually makes Rachel Summers, who hasn't revealed to Scott that uh, that he's her father, it makes her very upset because she was supposed to be the firstborn child uh, of Scott Summers. So uh, Kitty, uh, Pride, and Talisman, they go search for her while Heather walks into this magical fountain, which is what granted this group their powers in the first place. And she gains her own magic armor and the ability to lead, quote unquote. So, however, as all is not well, Shaman's uh, besieged by demons from his medicine pouch and falls ill, and Madeline's powers of healing have no effect on him. Also, we discover that this is tied into some sort of offering made by Loki on instructions uh, by those who sit above in shadow, basically uh, the gods of gods. Um, and also, yeah, as I mentioned before, the Rogue and Northstar, uh, they have some revealing dialogue, which I can't wait for us to discuss. But that's pretty much what happens. A lot goes on in issue one of this two-issue series. Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, do we want to just uh, talk about this whole, this story as a whole, or do we want to break it up by issue? Let's break it up simply because there's so much to cover. Yeah. Okay. So what are we what are we thinking here? This is uh, a lot has sort of happened in uh, in this in this issue. We've brought these two teams together that were already sort of tied, but now they're going on this mission. Uh, Adriana, what did, what did you think sort of of this story of this issue and how, how these two very important teams were kind of brought together and sent on their way? I felt strangely protective of the X Men when Madeline Pryor started, you know, quote unquote, healing them. Because yeah. for me, the fact that they're mutants, that they have these differences that, that set them apart from wider society, that's something that I really identify with. And so the, the fact that this whole scenario is being presented to, to them as like something that's going to, to fix them left a bad taste in my mouth. Especially Pucks having his dwarfism, uh, quote unquote, cured. Right, 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 right. Despite, like, my misgivings about what was happening, I thought it was a really, really neat concept. It sort of presented an interesting conflict where these characters kind of had to 
look inward and make this choice. Like, should I alter this fundamental part of my being? But of course, the, the aspect of this issue that I was most interested in was the subplot with Rogue and North Star. Um, I, I, I want to spend a little time on that. Before we do that, I just want to go back to something you mentioned, which was this idea of um, Puck being healed. Uh, I have super complicated feelings about this, <laughs> but part of the dialogue around that moment seems to suggest something more, which we've talked about before. Uh, and I was wondering, Adriana, if you got that feeling as well, that maybe what Puck is suffering from is not so much the condition that itself, but some sort of curse or something, something just because he talks about maybe having experienced being tall before, which is a weird thing to think about. I don't know. I, I did you get that feeling at all? Uh, kind of. And I mean, it, there have been hints that puck has led a very long and interesting life and that he has right. perhaps traversed, uh, you know, different universes or, or parallel dimensions. And he's been, you know, to different planets and things of that nature. Uh, there's this interesting mystique around his character and, you know, how how old is he exactly and, and, and what's going on with him. So, yeah, I, I, did, I did sort of infer the same thing that you did as far as there, there's something going on with Puck beyond what we are aware of. Doug, how about you? What were you thinking uh, during this this? Um, weird section with Puck. Were you thinking that there was some more explanation to what was going on? Were you just uh, feeling like this is uh, maybe in poor taste? What, what were your thoughts about this this uh, quote unquote Puck healing? I, I I did not pick up on what you were just referring to, Liam. The idea that that his uh, dwarfism, as they refer to it here, is might might be the cause of something outside. Um, of himself, that it could actually be some sort of magic or some other experience that he's had. When when she mentions the curse, I just figured that's referring to the constant pain that he lives in because of his condition, if you can call it a condition. And that's really the core of what he's being healed of, is the pain that he lives every day in. Um, and you could, I guess, make the case that, well, the only way to heal that is to also make him a... Uh, average uh, height uh, person as opposed to what he was previously. But it it does, in the dialogue, it does kind of come across like dwarfism is your disease. This is the cure. Right. Let's make right. you normal and that's right. going to fix everything. So, I mean, I, yeah, it's, I do think it's in bad taste. Um, the, though uh, I do think that they could have written this in a way that – where the same, the exact same events happen that didn't come off as so condescending, especially because you know the whole theme of X Men as as characters is the idea of celebrating differences to some extent, and here the idea right. it's like it's like let and I, I know that Adriana already referred to this, but you know to a certain extent you know when it comes to Rogue's uh, powers, uh, where you know she touches someone, she basically. Uh, gets a sense that she takes their powers, takes their memories, and they fall unconscious, and it means that she can't have any direct human contact. It's a really interesting aspect of that character, but you can also see how it it it, it is a bit of a curse and something that, that maybe they would choose to have healed, and it's a conflict that goes on with that character a lot. And, you know, so that, to me, it's like, well, I can see how how that would be a healing aspect. But when it comes to real life, uh, physical uh, attributes and, and, and what people have to live with and seeing those as uh, equal to uh, those sort of limitations when regards to mutant powers, I think it's in bad taste. 
Well, 100%. I do think the 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 line in the dialogue that's confusing is he literally says it's been so long which suggests that at some point he was of a different height doesn't it which, I, I i thought again which is not how that works i just again i thought it's been so long is just that it's been so long since it's been pain free but i could see how it would be interpreted both ways i i i just think again i I think there keeps, continues to be a suggestion that there's something else going on there, but I, I honestly don't remember, and I haven't looked it up on the wiki to find out, because I just want to find out as we do as we're reading or whatever. Um, but I agree with both of you, and I think that's sort of the stakes, and, and, and I think we'll get to this uh, after we cover the next issue, but the stakes seem to be that um, part of what's part of what's going on here is an erasure of what it is we like about the X-Men, and likely about uh alpha flight as well which is that uh these are people who might not be accepted for a variety of reasons who stand out who are unique who have both exceptional abilities and uh difficulties and limitations as well and this is what we like about them and then this seems to be possibly being erased um i also wanted to get a quick read from y'all a lot of the plot here this uh, let's not say the main plot but the subplot is around rachel summers and this this complication we have post um days of future past of her being from a future that might not exist uh doug i'll start with you was this engaging for you is this something that you care about or because it's not alpha flight related you just kind of ignored it and pretend it wasn't happening i I mean i've read days of future past and i know this character and and whatever complications come from the time travel aspect, it's only going to get worse from here on out in the yep. X-Men. I know that. <laughs> um, I don't think we should spend much time on it because, again, this is an Alpha Flight podcast, not an X-Men sure. and Alpha Flight podcast. But I I like it in the context of these two issues because it has some sort of resolution. Uh, and actually, the way that it resolves in at the end of the uh, the end of the miniseries proper is actually very sweet and I think is really well done, uh, even if it doesn't really solve anything, so to speak. So, you know, I, I think I'd feel worse if it felt like I was in- being introduced to something that was completely foreign to me and then it doesn't go anywhere in the context of the sure. series. But it, it there is a nice little um, transition of, or, or a progression, I should say, of that storyline as it goes through. I don't know if it ever... If if that ever kind of uh, reverberates through the X Men series proper, but even if it doesn't, it's nice in the context of this. The other two big, uh, of course, emotional touch points of this uh, in this issue and then in the next issue as well. So we'll talk more about it. Was our uh, you know Heather dealing with her feelings about being a leader uh, and Rogue and her connection to Northstar after she absorbs his powers? Um, Adriana, you mentioned it once, but let's dig in a little bit here. Uh, how'd you feel about this interaction with Northstar? Does this help us? understand his character a little bit more could you see there being some sort of connection between him and rogue because of their feelings of being outcasts what, what are your thoughts about that rogue and northstar have a really interesting dynamic across these two issues and as i was reading i found i found myself wanting more of of those interactions but so rogue is able to touch northstar because of, of madeline Pryor's magicking she sees his true self and she breaks down those walls he puts up a bit. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's just for me, this is like the most interesting part of, of these two issues. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a it's an interesting in for us. I think 
um, up till now, it, it, it's been not a lot of times that Byrne has given us opportunities to really kind of emotionally connect with North Star. So I like that Claremont kind of gives us that here. Um, uh, I think there's probably more to say probably about that. Do you guys want to talk more about that now or do you want to go to the next issue? What are you thinking? I, I mean, I, I think when the dance in the next issue right. is really right. kind right. of the core right. of it. Um, but I mean, I did just to, just to put my two cents in in regards to it. The the resonance of the sequences are certainly helped by the fact that we know something about North Star. We know that he's homosexual, and it's it, it's a lot more subtle here the the suggestion about about the the secrets that he holds and what he keeps from people than we may have even seen in some of the issues of alpha flight and right. i really like that because you know i uh, there's a part of me that that is kind of because i i you know i would i wish that the substance of comic books at the time would have just allowed him to be a gay superhero right. and that just wouldn't be a big deal but we know that that's not how the world worked or works um, and so the fact that that we know that this is sort of a wink and a nod to the audience that there's something else going on here, uh, I think it's played really sweetly and really nicely. And what you said, I think, Liam, is the key, which is that we know that North Star's a dick. We know that maybe one of the reasons he is is because he can't be his true self. Uh, he has to kind of hold it within. But there's even more to it than that, right? That That he's just... He's traumatized by the fact that he is an outsider in so many different ways. And I, I like the fact that they can talk about about that even if they can't talk about that, you know? I appreciate that, yeah. I like how you can also read this as, oh, they're developing a romantic relationship with each other. You think? Um, I, but I, no, I, I, I imagine that that, that – uh, there's a lot of people who might have read this at the time oh, and sure. thought that right and thought that oh I guess maybe North Star and Rogue might be a thing in the future but of course it's it's almost impossible from the year 2019 to read this and not think hey there's something else going on here well there's also that moment where I think I think it was Heather who who asked like where did North Star go and somebody says oh he went with Rogue and she's like he went with a woman <laughs> <laughs> not always subtle <laughs> I, uh, when I was young. I definitely read this as being a romantic connection between North Star and Rogue, but I had already decided, and this was pre him officially coming out, that he was gay, uh, you know, and so like, um, I I was very confused, you know, um, as to why this was the storyline. So I was like, I thought North Star was gay. That's weird. Okay. Oh, that's 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 an interesting uh, insight because I mean, obviously. A gay man can date a woman oh, sure, for sure, a sure, variety sure, of, of reasons. So it's still kind of in character if you have that interpretation. Sure, I just like I said when I was the first time I read this, I didn't know anything about North Star. But when I uh, reread it later, later on, I, I remember thinking like, "Man, that's this is interesting. I wonder if this is like canon, or maybe I'm misinterpreting what's supposed to be happening here." But now reading it from 2019, I'm like, "Oh, well, this is kind of you know." there's something else going on between them as well. You don't have to read it that way. And like you said, Heather kind of, uh, her response makes it clear that, that there might be a different interpretation. Um, before we move to the next volume, I just want to, uh, go back to something Adriana said that I agree with very much, which is, I think the art in this 
in both of these issues is very, very good. Um, I think Paul Smith does a great job. And it's really the first thing we've looked at so far outside of Burns Art where I've really liked the way that Alpha Flight looks. Uh, and I really appreciate them. Uh, I appreciate the way that that they're portrayed. Uh, Doug, I wanted to check in with you too. Do, do you like the art this issue? Are you appreciating Paul Smith? Um, are you missing Burn? What are you feeling? I, I mean, I love the art in this issue. It, it really does capture a um, an interesting otherworldliness when it comes to the architecture of this location that we spend a lot of the the time in. I mean, this is a you know, in some ways, the scope of this story is really huge, uh, particularly over the two issues. Um, but I think I'm going to save any other thoughts regarding the art until we actually, until we actually finish the second issue. Because in in sure. in a lot of ways, this is all just one big story. It's true. So let's jump forward to X Men Alpha Flight uh, vol- uh, number two from January 1986. Uh, again, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Paul Smith. Uh, uh, let's really quick just mention. This is, uh, I think, another great cover, um, and I, I, again with both the the main picture and the splash together with the ice giant. Uh, Doug, any thoughts on this cover? I like this one even more because it sort of feels like a sequel to the other cover uh, with a different sure. person in distress. It, it Loki has such a kind of minor part in the first issue, but you know that he's going to be a huge part of the second one, that there's no surprise to see him sort of front and center here, looking much more muscular than I'm used to seeing him (laughs) to some extent. But I mean, this is more like it, right? Like everyone in distress, basically throttling uh, uh, a person on the uh, the cover, a person who we just previously on the previous cover seemed kind of like, covered in in flame and power and showing the, such a powerful character, but it, now presenting him as basically being above all of that. No, I really like it. Um, I like both of these covers. I love, I actually, when put together in particular, I like them and I like that, that it's consistent that both issues have the, the wraparound cover. Yeah, I agree. Adriana, what are your thoughts? You're into it? I completely agree with Doug. Yeah, it's it's just a dynamic image, and I could see seeing this front cover and being like, "Oh, that's really cool." And then you flip it over, and there's that ice giant waiting for you on the back. That's no joke. That's a that's a pretty cool design. Um, so, uh, gift part two, Doug. What what happens in the second part of this uh, double uh, issue? All right, there's a lot of plot here, so I'm going to go through it quickly. So while searching for Rachel Summers, a talisman she meets up with Kitty Pride and the pair, they find an ancient Viking village uh, deep underneath uh, the, the this uh, castle that they've been staying at. They calm her, but then the, stealing, the ceiling starts to collapse, and they have to quickly escape, the village being destroyed at the same time. They actually find a rune at the same time, and we find out later that it's actually in dedication to Loki. A little hint to what's, what uh, is uh, behind all of this. The group separates, and Kitty, she runs into an unconscious Wolverine, who you might remember was supposed to be searching for Snowbird. She wakes him up and discusses what they found. Wolverine continues his search, and he finds Snowbird, who's in a very bad shape, before being confronted by two of the scientists in the form, their their new hero form as Beastmaster and Pathfinder, and they say that there's no place, basically, for Snowbird in this new world world they're building. And this is a key to what we find out in this issue, which is basically that um, the powers that they have 
will not allow magical beings to thrive. And in fact, that's that's why both Shaman and Snowbird have been having so many issues. So Wolverine dramatically arrives at the banquet with Snowbird, uh, still in bad shape, and Be- Beastmaster. And he, uh, he actually killed Pathfinder in the fight that, they, that happened off screen. Uh, he reveals that Shaman and Snowbird's injuries are due to the magical fire fountain that gave them their powers. Uh, and while some members of the combined group think this is a small sacrifice in exchange for basically having the ability to end poverty and hunger worldwide, wide others are unwilling to compromise and there's a big fight basically nine characters versus everyone else have a big fight while battling talisman discovers uh that there's actually another weakness to these powers which is basically that it removes all sense of creativity from those who have been gifted these abilities uh in fact the only people who retain uh the creativity is apparently the x-men themselves and there there's some concern that if they're that's just another thing to make them outsiders and for people to hate them for if they're the only people on earth who have creativity the realization actually ends the fight and it's revealed that loki was the one behind these gifted powers and he forces them to make a choice talisman convinces madeline to reject the gift and she's stripped of her powers but actually agrees to take it back once her friend sam ross is injured and she's unable to heal him without those powers uh the elder gods uh who who were speaking to loki in the first issue they eventually appear tell loki that his gift was meant to really be without strings attached and he offers it once more but he's rejected by the heroes causing loki to swear revenge on them they're stripped of their abilities snowbird and shaman recover and the entire group leaves but they notice that rachel isn't on board cyclops goes in search of her and they have a really nice moment between each other she doesn't reveal that he is her father but he does give some really nice advice and uh and it's a pretty sweet note to end things on yeah, I agree with all of that, Doug. That is what happens. Way to go. <laughs> Wasn't meant to be a controversy. It's just, just, just the events that happen in the issue. Actually, it's still missing out on a lot. This is a, a dense issue of a comic. Yeah, there's, there's so many things going on, and um, I, I think uh, there's a lot to sort of hold on to and understand. But, but I feel like it comes to a pretty great climax and kind of what we've been looking for since we knew that there was a X-Men Alpha Flight crossover, which is some awesome battle. Liam, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. I'm just going to sidestep you a little bit. And I just want to get everyone's thought on the final decision at the end of this issue, because I've been thinking about it a lot, which is that, okay, Loki's a trickster, but he's basically been forced to offer this gift to people and the the gift itself it seems like even though there are these strings attached where you lose your creativity and magical people will probably die in the process but the powers themselves are legitimate they will be able to use this to end world hunger to end disease to end suffering all over the entire planet maybe in the entire universe theoretically and that is the trade-off that they actually fight over and I wonder, you know, if I was a peasant in like Latveria in the Marvel universe and I heard that someone could relieve me of my suffering and all they would have to give up was creativity that, hey, in my context as someone who's starving and has a difficult life, that I can't really take use, use creativity anyway, that wouldn't it seem kind of selfish for them to make that decision uh, without thinking about the kind of greater good of it all? And that's really the core question here is the greater good. Is it worth it to sacrifice very specific people or specific aspects of our personalities for the greater good of the planet. And what do you lose in response to that? So what did you think of their decision here, Liam? Uh, did they make the right one or, or do you feel conflicted about it? Well, the problem is that um, they don't get to make that decision, 
You know what I mean? It doesn't work for these characters that they would make that decision for everyone else. I mean, it it it, it doesn't it doesn't elude me that the that a creative person like Chris Claremont would, of course, write creativity is more important than anything else, right? But I mean, sure. I don't know if that is necessarily something that plays out in the real world. No, no, no. And and <clears throat> this is why the metaphor doesn't really work anyway. But um, it, it it's complicated by the fact that a they know actual magical people. You know what I mean? It's not like in theory, right. magical people. It's like, uh, you know, they could all list, you know, especially as on the hero side, they could all list magical people that they're like, oh, they're going to go. Um, the creativity aspect is um, if that was all that was at stake and not the deaths of so many uh, people connected to magic, then um, I think that would be a harder decision to make. Um, to say that uh, it wouldn't be worth it. Um, but I think the the whole thing plays like such, for me, uh, uh, not well thought through metaphor for uh, the problems of communism that it kind of struck me as like very awkward and, you know, not really fair because uh, oftentimes the, the creativity is exactly what is needed uh, and the ability to be um, creative individuals is exactly what is needed to solve problems and not so much that we need to like give that up for some sort of like um, universal equality or whatever. It, it, um, it's kind of interesting. It's something I've always noticed, particularly in American heroic context, which is that the rejection of that idea of the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few is seen as more heroic than going along with it. That, that you know, there are so many movies that are based around, oh, the earth is, at, you know, the earth could be destroyed. And then you have, you know, the, the female protagonist and a male protagonist and the male protagonist, he goes, he tries to save her, even though it might risk the entire planet. And that's seen as a heroic act when, you know, if it didn't go well, then it was all for nothing anyway, right? It's just interesting that I think a lot of superheroes are based around that same idea anyway, and this is kind of an extension of that in my eyes, though, you know, again, it's not like nothing's being given up here. There is going to be death involved. Well, and I, you know, my thought is is that um, it's often just a misdirect anyway, because it's not actually that... Um, the systems that we're lifting up in these ideologies actually honor the needs of the the many or the few or whatever it is we're going to say. It's sure. usually the needs of the many are sacrificed for the privilege of the few as opposed to um, we need to, you know, very rarely is it these couple of people have to die so that we all can live. It's more often we can ignore the needs of a whole lot of people because they don't count. Um, what I'm really trying to say is, Liam, is shouldn't we kill, say, the 20 richest people in the world? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and wouldn't we all be better off for it? <laughs> I mean, look. Here's the thing, and and um, I don't, you know, we we can we can wrap up pretty quick here, um, and, and just admit that this was a pretty well drawn and uh, fun romp. Um, but you know, as I've said on this show before, the getting the graphic novel that combines this story with another example of Loki trying to trick the X Men into doing what he wants. Um, uh, this is how I got into Alpha Flight. So clearly, like this story means a lot to me this narrative means a lot to me um and so if anyone's listening to this who's like oh that's one of my favorite alpha flight stories like i'm not trying to bum you out or anything but uh 
this whole idea that any world equality is going to come at the sacrifice of something innately human and special is pure ideology. And, um, and I, you know, I'm not surprised by it because it is a theme in a lot of comic books. Um, but you know, it's clearly a setup because it's Loki. And if there's one thing we've learned throughout all of comics is that whatever Loki's doing, don't trust Loki. (laughs) It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how charming he seems. There's always a thing. And so, you know, honestly, like, uh, it's, it's not really even for me a dilemma, like no part of my reading this am I thinking like whatever, because it's like the foundation on which the gift is given is untrustworthy. And so, you know, we're kind of set up to have to agree with one side because only a truly inexperienced comic reader would be like, yeah, Loki seems cool. I think this will be good. This seems like a good idea. We'll just do this. This seems good. It's you just know it's not gonna it's not gonna work. Since we're finishing up our comments on this issue, Liam, I just want to bring it up very quickly before we get to the art, maybe one last time, which is that I really love that we are at this breaking point. You know, where John Byrne, he's finished his run, his legendary run is now complete. It started before the series proper did with in the pages of X Men where you had this story of X-Men and Alpha Flight encountering each other for the first time. And here we are. And like literally the month after John Byrne finishes, December, I think it's December 1985 or right around that time period, we have this bookend where these characters meet again in similar circumstances at first. And they have this other adventure with Chris Claremont writing. Now, the events of this take place uh, between uh, Alpha Flight 22 and 23. So in the continuity of, of the series, it's a little bit earlier on. But in the context of us talking about it, what a kind of, you know, with with episode 13 of this show, we've kind of come full circle. We've got a whole story that's that's sort of being told. Uh, and, and even though there's a lot of plot lines yet to come and teases for what's to come in the pages of it, uh, it seems kind of uh, apt to, you know, take a moment in, in, and look at the wider context of Alpha Flight in the Marvel Universe and and see the impact that they've made over the last however many years. I appreciate that, Doug. I think it's also, for me, though, a reminder of the potential of these characters. Mm. I just think maybe not all of them, but a lot of them are better written in these two issues than they are in a lot of what we've read so far. Uh, and that's, you know, that's just a one man's opinion, so to speak. But, uh, but uh, especially Heather, I think, comes across very strong um i get a a better sense of like who talisman is and what she can actually do um uh, walter's still annoying but but other (laughs) characters really come across uh pretty strong and 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 i i get a little bit of why i was drawn into alpha flight because i want to see more of what they can do and so uh again i i you know that's not a uh, trying to knock burn altogether because he created these characters and I think he had stories he wanted to tell, but I do think there's a lot of potential with these characters. So I'm going into this next sort of uh, era of alpha flight with a lot of hope um, because I don't think burn is the only person who can tell interesting stories about these characters. Um, so uh, if you have not checked out this X-Men and alpha flight two issue crossover, I cannot recommend it enough. As I said, uh, many times it, it it comes packaged uh, as part of the X Men as Guardian Wars trade paperback, but I'm sure you could also find the monthly issues as well. Um, I recommend the trade paperback just because there's a there's a whole run of stuff with Storm uh, later on getting her powers. It's really great. Um, in our next episode, we're going to be talking about Secret Wars two. 
nine issues of Secret Wars two. Are we doing all <laughs> nine issues, Doug? <laughs> I think we'll 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 treat it as one uh, single entity. But yeah, cool. we're gonna have to read it. I wonder if it'll make more sense in those Christar that Christar uh, issue that we read. I uh, I hope so. We'll also be covering Incredible Hulk number three thirteen when they fish Hulk out of the abyss. Uh, that'll be interesting as well. Um, so if you want to uh, be caught up with us, check those out. Um, before uh, you check in with us for ish- for episode number 14. Uh, Adrian, if people want to find us on Twitter, where can they find uh, the Flight Stuff? They can find us at Flight Stuff Pod. And what if they want to follow you on Twitter? Uh, well, if they want to follow me on Twitter, they can find me at EADXBB. And Doug, if, if people want to connect with you on the old social medias, where should they find you? Well, I'm all over the place, Liam, but I think the main location to find me on Twitter is at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And, of course, if they want to check out all the latest episodes of the Flight Stuff Podcast, you've got to go over to Cinepunks.com uh, and subscribe, of course, via iTunes. And why don't you also leave us a review? We love it so much when people do that. Love us or hate us, but particularly if you love us. Yeah, please uh, hook us up with those reviews. Uh, yeah, I, I echo Doug. Check out Cinepunks. You can follow Cinepunks uh, across social media, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the same thing. Uh, also, we want to thank all of our Patreon supporters and our uh, uh, you know quote-unquote official sponsor, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, but we want to thank you most of all for listening to the show and uh, really appreciate all the people who have been writing in, who've been emailing us. Uh, we wanted to quick mention we got a very uh, interesting and engaging comment uh, on one of the posts that we wanted to bring up. So uh, this was a comment uh, from uh, E. Gubbins, according to their their thing here, uh, on episode six. Uh, let, let's uh, I'll read it really quick. Great discussion. Just to add some food for thought. Uh, obviously, you make a valid and important point about the inappropriateness of Snowbird being a blonde white lady, despite the fact that she's meant to represent, albeit fictional, indigenous North American mythology. But hear me out. If the magical beasts that spawned her are really as ancient as they're said to be, maybe they came from a time of Pangea, when Canada was a short drive from what eventually became Scandinavia, the land of white blonde ladies? Question mark? This is the kind of thing that would earn Marvel a ner- Marvel nerds a no prize, quote unquote, back in the day. Sweaters could crowdsource correcting their mistakes. I appreciate <laughs> that, and I definitely give you the no prize. Obviously, it would have been better if Snowbird had looked plausibly Native American and shared more connection to some of the uh, mores and sensibilities of actual real life Native American religion mythology. And in my view, it was a mistake to give her an alter ego at all, much less alone with a uh, demanding day job. It's like <laughs> it's like the dumb idea that. Thor, by day, is a doctor named Donald Blake. Agree. Set aside that Thor never seemed to know much about medicine or human biology in particular. Who would go to a doctor that's never around? And when he is around, pounds giant steins of beer. (laughs) (laughs) This is why there was never more than a winking reference to Blake in any of the Thor movies. But I digress. Snowbird was yet another wasted opportunity to create what could have been a much more fascinating character. Uh, I would suggest, according to our buddy uh, Rob Plass, that she does get more interesting as the series goes on. But I guess we'll we'll find that out uh, as you check in with us. We want to thank you so much for this comment. Uh, anything uh, you guys want to say about this this take that may, maybe uh, maybe uh, you know uh, Snowbird's more related to Scandinavia than to Canada? What do you what do you think, Doug? Is our resident Canadian? <laughs> I, I really like the take. I think it's a really interesting perspective. Obviously, it's somewhat tongue in cheek, uh, as is appropriate. Sure. Uh, and, and I think, uh, and and even uh, E. Gubbins, he, he 
references the fact that our complaints here are very valid, and which which again, it does sit a little uneasily regarding, especially because there isn't any real Inuit representation or or um, or Inu representation within the comic, sure, uh, and within the team proper. Um, Sometimes I feel like because Shaman and Talisman are indigenous characters that they feel like the, the creators feel like that's enough. And the fact that the representation of, uh, of, of that culture is not only kind of fictionalized, but also represented by someone who looks nothing like the people from that area. It, it, again, it's something that's never going to sit quite right with me, though. I will say that, uh, having talked to Rob and, and, uh, his, his, his feelings on that character and why he feels that way, it does give me a new appreciation for Snowbird as a character. And it makes me very curious to see what's coming next. I do like this idea that um, because of Pangea, she's phys- you know physically more related to uh, Scandinavians, but uh, the gods of Canada um, respect the nation state borders so much that she can't leave the completely arbitrary borders of Canada that are unrelated to uh, actual culture or anything like that. Anyways, thank you so much for the comment. And honestly, we'd love to get more comments like this. Head on over to cinepunks.com, head on over to iTunes, leave us reviews, but also leave us comments, ask us questions, shoot us emails, yell at us on Twitter, whatever it is. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, But until episode 14, uh, we got to say, Flight stuff out.